All right, friends, we are back for your favorite podcast show of the week. It's Location Weekly. It's episode number 550, and we're recording live on January the 4th. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a new year. It's a new day, and we're still in COVID, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get through it. We will get through it. Um, how are you, Abriana? I'm good. I think you, you put it. Right. New year, same old stuff. Um, everybody's dealing with, it seems like. So I'm good. You know, I had a nice new year, saw a little bit of family, which was nice, even though it was different and low key, obviously. Um, and it's really cold here. Like, I don't know. Uh, there's no snow and it's beautiful and, and clear, but it is really cold. I think it was like 18 this morning feels like six degrees. So that's pretty pretty uh, frigid for these uh, Atlanta transplants here um, in New York. But yeah, we're like, we're good. We're, you know, just going through the same stuff that everybody else is going through, virtual schooling, trying to get back in the year, trying to uh, stay on top of what's happening at CES and, you know, all that good stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, I wonder what like the attendance at CES is like this year, like if people are actually there. You know? I think people are there, but there was a lot of people I know, like even from my company and, and friends that I knew that were attending that, of course, backed out at the last minute. So pretty similar. You know, nobody wants to be going to Vegas and being sick. That's like a place you need a lot of energy to be. So I yeah. think everybody's trying to do things, you know, we can hope for next year again. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, well, let's uh, let's jump into uh, our show for this week. We have four stories as usual. Uh, some interesting things, I think, this week. I'll let you uh, kick it off. Yeah, well, if you remember last week, well, not last week, but the week before we did our uh, the week before we did our predictions, we had talked about um, Apple Wallet being um, you know incorporated into Hyatt with their hotel room keys, and we were saying, you know, this is good. This is great. Like we're glad Hyatt's doing this. It's um, you know, but we really wanted to see more real world applications here for those more like friction points like TSA. Well, asked and answered, obviously they were working on this well before we, um, you know, talked about, about that a couple of weeks ago. But according to Secure Technology Alliance, um, TSA is planning on supporting Apple Wallet IDs in airports. They're going to start with two different airports um, next month in February. And if it's successful, they're going to roll that out and expand to uh, two more states, you know, the following month and, and kind of, uh, you know, expand upon that. But, you know, besides the privately run TSA programs like Clear, um, Apple Wallet is really the first digital ID that TSA is going to accept. Um, and they, you know, they're saying they're going to expand this to other platforms. I would expect that, you know, Google Wallet, what's available there, uh, maybe Samsung Pay, something like that will start to be incorporated in the future as well. Um, but basically the way that it's going to work is rather than the TSA um, staff examining a physical ID card or, you know, like a driver's license um, and manually comparing that to the traveler's ID photo on their face and verifying the flight information, all those things you know, where you scan your QR code, now you're going to have a more automated process. So you'll just simply tack that, uh, uh, you know, use the NFC reader or the QR scanner to validate that. So they'll still have, um, you know, a TSA rep like verifying and kind of overseeing that. They'll still be present um, to validate that the verification went through, but it will just speed things up a little bit more seamlessly and 
you know, perhaps even um, be a more secure option than than a human eye, perhaps. Um, so last year, Apple had said that it was expanding Apple Wallet to other, you know, cover conventional ID cards like the state driver's license, but you know that which are encrypted and, and then stored um, as part of the process. But this obviously comes with a little bit of challenges um, around this, including like the you know Apple's contracts with the states and the local DMVs and how. Um, the administrative process is going to be on the DMVs. So um, if you've ever been to a DMV in the US, then you definitely know how um, exciting and fun that process tends to be. So there's probably a lot of key portions of the project that are TBD here on how that will work. But overall, you know, I think this is a great, um, you know, this is a great integration. This is something that we like. This is, you know, less moving parts when you're going through TSA. Uh, especially if you're trying to go through like with a family or little ones, or, you know, you've got just a lot of things that are happening. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever lost an ID going through a TSA checkpoint. I have definitely done that and um, had to have my husband like overnight my passport and, uh, you know, when I'm traveling for work. So that is definitely not fun. And I think that this is a great, um, you know, thing that can help streamline that and hopefully move those lines a little quicker. But what do you think? Yeah, completely agree with everything you said. I think from a you know, consumer traveler perspective, I, I, I think this is fantastic. It's it's all about, you know, taking the friction out of that, you know, sort of authentication process and whatnot. I think, you know, to add to what you've said, though, I, I think the the interesting part of this story for me is it's got nothing to do with Apple Wallet or the TSA is, you know, what does this mean for all those governments right now that we know who are have huge sort of digital identity programs where they're building their own, you know, sort of technology and and building systems and so on, you know, does this sort of, you know, throw a fly in that ointment, you know, for them? Because, I, you know, I, I just look at it and go like, Apple's just making this available, Hyatt's using it, TSA's using it, you know, the DMV is going to use it, whatever, you know, if a bunch of, you know, more organizations start to say, yes, you know, this is easy, it's simple, People already have it in their phone. Let's just go with that. You know, I think there's hundreds of millions of dollars already allocated and, you know, half spent on all sorts of digital ID projects that are going on. You know, is that now all sort of wasted or, uh, you know, sort of, um, you know, have to just get thrown out, right? Because this is kind of the way that, you know, things are going. So I just worry about some of that. And, and, I, and I say that from even here in, in Ontario where I am, our government has been working, you know, for the last couple of years on a digital identity platform, which would incorporate you know, our health information, our driver's license information, all of that into, you know, some platform that they're building, you know, but if that is now going to be easily available on, you know, the Apple wallet, you know, they've just spent like, you know, years and hundreds of millions of dollars for, for, for nothing. It's a good point. And it's certainly something to think about. Um, you know, I think it's really hard when it comes a lot of times to governments trying to build these types of platforms, I think that they have a harder time doing it. Um, their expertise typically lies elsewhere on some of these capabilities. Although, you know, there's a lot of government agencies that have the most advanced technologies as well. So I think it just depends on like what people will be willing to adopt from a consumer perspective and then what governments are also going to be comfortable with um, in terms of interacting with some of these other very large, you know, global companies. How does that impact their trustworthiness of things? Um, especially when Apple will likely start working with multiple 
um, governments, you know, around the world. So lots to consider there, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, um, let's jump over to our uh, our next story then, and uh, we can talk a little bit about. We're going over to Europe here now, and this is an interesting. Uh, project that's uh, been launched by a company called Locatify. So Locatify is a company, European company, um, I think they've got offices in uh, in Amsterdam and Iceland where they're based and what they do is is they use sort of um, real-time location information and data, indoor positioning data, GPS data, uh, but they use this to sort of uh, primarily focus on cultural mark, uh, markets, art galleries, museums, you know, tours, you know, these kinds of uh, experiences, uh, visitor experiences, let's call them, and then, you know, sort of build, you know, sort of, you know, media intensive, you know, location based, content based experiences, you know, sort of tied to your geo position. And so, you know, if you're inside of a building, obviously, they're using, you know, Wi Fi or beacons, uh, I know they even, um, I've been playing around with ultra wideband a fair bit, um, you know, on some new applications, and then obviously GPS and, and other signals in outdoor uh, scenarios. So they've launched this pr uh, program recently called Umweg Landschaft, uh, which is a location-based audio walking app. Uh, this is happening in Switzerland, and it uses GPS marks. Uh, to trigger audiovisual stories based on your surroundings. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, over the years and even recently we've talked about sort of the growth of augmented reality and using that in sort of, um, you know, I'm standing in, you know, this former, you know, military battleground or, you know, this whatever and, you know, using AR I can see, you know, hold up my phone and there's a marker and I can see kind of, you know, what it might have looked like, you know, 100 years ago or whatever in that spot. This is kind of the same thing, but using audio um, to deliver that message um, based on, on your GPS position. And so they've kind of built this whole audio tour, this walk, and uh, you can kind of go around and experience you know, the landscape and, and this part of, of Zurich. Uh, and they've kind of got all these different markers there. It takes about one and a half hours to complete the tour. It's available 24 seven, so that's cool too, because it's not like something that, you know staff have to be involved in or you know you have additional costs that way it's just there and people can just download it the app and kind of you know get going on it um so you know i love these kinds of things because i think they're you know especially as we talked about at the opening of the show we're still in covid you know what can you do to you know still have some fun get out there and this is the kind of thing that is very COVID friendly, right? It's, I, I just go out there, I got the app, I'm on my own, I've got, you know, you know, my, uh, you know, my headphones on, whatever. Um, and I'm just, you know, experiencing things, you know, uh, on my own and, uh, and learning about the place around me or those kinds of things. So I really, I really like these types of apps. Um, so, but check out Locatify. They're they're a super interesting company. They've been at this for quite a while. Uh, you know, as I said, indoor you know museums, galleries, those kinds of things, as well as outdoor experiences all over the world, not just in Europe. Uh, I know they have quite a few uh, implementations uh, here in North America as well. Any thoughts from you? No, I like this. I like that it is audio and location based, and there is 
um, you know, there's less of a need to engage or find a specific code or scan something. I can just be listening and walking and have somebody kind of guide me through what's going on. And I like that idea a lot. Um, and I agree, you know, I think there's a lot of of opportunity to expand on these location-based experiences. Um, you know, one thing we did early on in the Christmas break because we all had a cold and we were like, we're not going to go to family's house or anything at this point. We're gonna just kind of stay put, but we got to get out of the house, right? So we got in the car and we just drove around and looked at Christmas lights and we were like, oh, there should be an app that should tell you like where the best Christmas lights are. And you know, we were trying to find is that does that even exist? But this is kind of, you know, that that really um high-end blend of that, just saying, like, here's where you are and here's what happened here, or this is what the painting is about, or you know, giving yeah. you like a glimpse from the artist's perspective. So I really love um just the seamlessness of that and, and bringing it into a lot of the other stories that we've talked about lately. So um, let's go over to Dublin, Ireland. A firm called Sensi is really focused on, on empowering sustainability through technology. And specifically what they're looking at right now is trying to be part of a solution to um, the 8 million tons of plastic that enter our ocean every year, which is really sad and crazy that there's that much um, you know, plastic that's getting into our oceans. Um, but, you know, there's a, a new uh, law or directive that's coming into play specifically in Ireland that's called the Single Use Plastics Directive, which is really aimed at trying to cut down on those plastic containers that are only, you know, intended to be used once. And so they're requiring that there's a, a separate collection of 90% of single-use plastic beverage bottles by 2029, and then for like 30% of such bottles to be recycled by 2030. So they're really, you know, aiming at trying to help with this problem and, you know, use the ability to recycle these types of things. So what Sensi is doing is they are using this visual recognition AI technology with what they're calling smart RVMs, which is reverse vending machines, right? So instead of taking something out of this, you're putting something in. Um, and this is part of what they're calling a deposit return scheme. Sure, they could come up with a better word than scheme for this, but the important part that we'll focus on is that this is, you know, deposit return. So this could be used for applications within government or, you know, private regulation type of things, private, you know, companies. But they're really just encouraging like good recycling habits. So they're rewarding users with these digital vouchers in the form of QR codes. So they'll get something of value in return um, as they, you know, go to these places and recycle, put in their plastic bottles. Um, so they've already rolled this out in several locations across Ireland, including a premier retailer, which is called Fresh, and then a Pavilions shopping center in Swords. Um, and then there's a lot of companies that are supporting this initiative, like Dunn Store, Super Value, Chopped, um, and a whole bunch of others that are listed uh, and more are continuing to be onboarded with this. So I love this idea. I think it's very important, you know, that we are having, you know, visibility into what's happening in our world and um, in our environment. And I think maybe at least here in the U.S., I do feel like it's a very vague thing. Like what happens when I actually recycle? Because, you know, we're big recyclers in my house. So like what's happening with the cardboard and the plastic and the aluminum and everything that I'm putting, um, you know, out, which is accounts for a ton of, of the household trash. But it's like, it does take effort, you know, there's a lot of sorting and cleaning and, and, and doing those things. So it would be really, I would love to know as a consumer, like, how am I helping? Like, what is this 
um, actually happening with these items that are being recycled, as well as what's happening with items that are not being recycled. You know, what are the trickle down effects that this problem creates in our world? Because I think a lot of times, you know, certain certain groups or uh, perspectives are either it's not actually being recycled or I don't believe in climate change or something like that, but they are not maybe understanding all the uh, implications that this problem is having, such as like, hey, this is getting in your food um, and this is actually causing a lot of, you know, sickness and disease and things because of the trickle down effect. So I think that it's important that we have more visibility into the solutions, what they're helping with, all of those. And I love that this, you know, company Sensi is coming out and saying like, hey, we're going to help with this. And this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to reward consumers. So I would love to see more of that. Um, and, and just, you know, being able to kind of share, we've seen those experiences being shared around certain products, but like, what about our behavior as consumers and, you know, as a global, you know, humanity that drinks out of plastic and things almost every single day, right? Like, how can we, how can we help and how can we know more? So I like it. Yeah, I, I like it a lot too. So a um, couple thoughts on my side. So here in Canada, uh, we just also passed, uh, actually just, it was passed last year, but just came into effect on January 1st, uh, single use plastics laws here. So now like all the, you, you know, you, you go to any fast food restaurant or any, any place here, there's no more plastic straws, all that's gone now, it's all paper, um, you know, cutlery, all that. Like, um, so all that's just, gone right and so you know i totally get kind of you know that movement and where this is going uh and kind of what they're what they're striving for with with this initiative um the thing i really like about it is is you know when we when we think about sort of the world of retail uh and couponing and discounts and all of that kind of stuff it's one thing to just like hey you know i walked by the store or i got this coupon today it's another thing to like you know encourage people to you know, be recycling and, you know, kind of putting something into a machine and then getting, you know, their discount or getting their coupon as the, you know, sort of reward, if you will, for it. And I, I, I just like that notion of it's, it's back to that exchange, right? Like I'm doing something and I'm getting something of benefit to me, right? Um, and, and the thing I'm doing is actually very positive for, you know, our, our environment. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's really, you know, interesting, you know, for me. And I, and I think too, like, you know, potentially, you know, there's a data play here. We were talking the other week about sort of, you know, data for good kind of initiatives, right? And, you know, if there's any way at some point to sort of identify who these people are, you know, that are, you know, do, participating in this activity and receiving the reward, you know, all of a sudden you have an interesting cohort that, you know, from a marketing perspective that could be useful, um, you know, for certain brands and so on. So I, I think that is, is something I would be looking at, you know, as, as a go forward piece around this. But just the whole notion of the reverse vending machine and it, that exchange, you know, I, I, I really love. Um, I could see this, you know, exploding, you know, into, you know, retailers here, in, you know, where I am in Toronto or Canada. Um, and, and many other markets. So I think this is the kind of thing that's, you know, really just at its infancy right now. And, and it's obviously, you know, not the first time, you know, we've seen a re re reverse vending machine, but I think as a, at scale and with what's happening right now globally in terms of environmental, you know, consciousness and, you know, the need to, to recycle and tying that to rewards, I, I, I like it. So, yeah. 
All right, our final story now. So we're going to jump over to um, uh, Indonesia um, and talk a little bit about how one brand in particular has been uh, engaging with citizens, um, uh, you know, around COVID and COVID and pandemic awareness. Uh, and the brand is called Lifeboy. Now, for most of our North American viewers, you might not be familiar with Lifeboy, but Lifeboy is a brand that's been around for like a hundred plus years, um, since 1894. It's a Lever Brothers brand. So it's actually um, part of the uh, Unilever portfolio of brands. Um, and this is a, a soap brand. Um, so, you know, when we're talking about COVID and cleanliness and washing your hands and using soap, you know, that's, that's the connection here to, to Lifebuoy. Um, and so they wanted to find a way to sort of create brand awareness and at the same time encourage people to be washing their hands and sort of being aware of, of what's going on, uh, you know, with the pandemic. And so um, they, they, they launched this um, sort of public awareness uh, campaign across uh, Indonesia, 17 countries, um, uh, and, um, you know, focused on sort of the Indonesian market initially. Uh, and and Indonesia is made up of many different provinces, um, you know, like we have here in Canada. So you have Jakarta and Bali and so on and so forth. Um, and then basically uh, what was cool about this is, is they used real-time data coming from the health system to sort of understand, you know, how the pandemic was sort of growing, you know, in different provinces, in different cities at different rates, uh, in the exposure and the, you know, the, the number of cases and all those kinds of things. And then based on that data, they rolled out unique ads and message boards, you know, based on three different themes, social distancing, hand washing, you know, sort of measures and best practices, and then just overall COVID preparedness. And the ads were targeted to different audience segments. Um, and then it, on top of all of that, they also donated 425 hand washing stations in key cities uh, in partnership with the National Disaster Management Association. So, you know, it wasn't just, you know, here's our brand and here's our ad campaign, you know, uh, tied to real time data. It's also, hey, we want to help, you know, we're, you know, making hand washing stations available uh, and doing all of that. And then what to kind of sum up here, the last thing I want to say is, is that, um, you know, all the ads were customized based on, you know, these sort of dynamic, you know, data elements to each province and the number of cases, as I said, and those kinds of things. But in addition to that, the um, what I liked about it, they, they, you know, they actually did have a call to action at some point in this, right, where you could, you know, sort of click on the ad and then go and buy Lifebuoy soap or products you know, to help you with, you know, staying on top of, you know, hand washing and cleanliness. So it wasn't just brand awareness. They actually did have a call to action and actually, you know, try to drive, you know, some incremental, you know, revenue from this, you know, which, you know, they should be doing their, you know, their, their commercial product. So um, I think it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. And, um, you know, I, I, we actually have, it's interesting because I haven't heard of a lot of brands really tapping into, you know, sort of real-time COVID data and then trying to push more, you know, sort of product related to that. Um, and um, maybe there's there's still a lot of opportunity because we're still in this. I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, I completely agree. I think it's, um, I do like their incorporation of the data and application there. 
you know, early on, we saw a lot of location data providers sharing this type of movement yeah. data, talking about it, but it wasn't really being applied where you can see, okay, this is something that could easily be applied to companies like Instacart or Drizzly or whoever, you know, that has any type of um, delivery application, or in this case, an actual um, good um, that can be tied in. So I love the, um, I love the charitable aspect of it. I love the real-time data. I love that there was a call to action. I think they checked all the boxes on this campaign. Um, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a really great uh, campaign that they, they put together pretty strong. Yeah, and just to give you some numbers, like on on reach here. So they said the ad campaign they reached more than six million local uh, Indonesians with ten million completed uh, video views, um, and that they increased their uh, in brand internet footprint with more than one million visits to their uh, page after the campaign. Um, and to top it off, like the the good news story is four of the provinces that they focused on saw a week over week uh, decline in COVID cases. So there you go. There you go. So effective all around, it sounds like. So I like it. Me too. So that's it. That's our show for this week. Uh, you've been listening and, and watching episode number uh, 550 of Location Weekly. We thank you so much for your time. And uh, we just wish you uh, a good start to the new year. Uh, a healthy one. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You know, wear your mask. Wash your hands. Get some soap and, uh, you know, have a good, uh, a good week and we'll, we'll see you next week. Thank you.